Welcome back to It's an Inside Job podcast. I'm your host, Jason Lim. Now, this podcast is dedicated to helping you to help yourself and others to become more mentally and emotionally resilient so you can be better at bouncing back from life's inevitable setbacks. Now, on It's an Inside Job, we decode the science and stories of resilience into practical advice, skills, and strategies that you can use to impact your life and those around you. Now, with that said, let's slip into the stream. Hey, great that you can join me again for a new episode. We are at the top of a new month, and November is here as we count down towards Christmas. This week, as I do at the top of every month, I like to do a solo project. So we'll jump into that. But what I'd like to do is first introduce what I have coming up this month for you guys. Starting next week, episode 20, uh, Amy Sandler from Radical Candor will be joining me. And we've titled the episode Constructive Conflict, Difficult Conversations, and Radical Candor. Now, she's trained tens of thousands of people uh, across the spectrum of roles, including CEOs, leadership teams, mid-level new managers on how to have difficult conversations, how to have constructive conflict. And in this episode, we talk about what is radical candor and how radical candor methodology can be used at work and how important it is to build psychological safety and how it is that difficult conversations go to building a feedback culture in any organization. And the week after that, episode 21, it's titled How to Escape the Addiction of Substance, Behaviors, and Mindsets. And my interview will be with Dr. Lemke. Now, she's a professor of psychiatry and behavioral science at Stanford University School of Medicine. And she's also the chief of the Stanford Addiction Medicine Dual Diagnosis Clinic. Now, she's also appeared in the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, which provides an unvarnished look at the impact of social media on our lives. And we talk about her new book, Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence. Now, it was an instant New York Times bestseller. Now, in that book, Dr. Lemke explores how to moderate compulsive overconsumption in a dopamine overloaded world. And we do a deep dive to understand the effects of dopamine on our mindsets and our behaviors and everything else that we are as human beings. And rounding off the month, we have episode 22, which is mapping threats and mitigating risk. Advice on building organizational resilience from a former detective and soldier. And Paul Henriksen will be my guest. He is the COO of Inung Safety Consultant. Now, this is a company that specializes in making risks and consequences and vulnerability analysis for both private and public sectors, the businesses. And that include fire departments and municipalities and, and private enterprises also. In our conversation, we talk about what he learned from life-threatening situations in the theater of Afghanistan. And he also talks about how first responders and police officers psychologically deal with tragedy and how important it is to diffuse and debrief after a crisis in a threatening situation. And all these lessons learned can be applied to us as individuals or as organizations. And so those are the three fascinating conversations I'll have in the month of November. And I hope you'll be able to join me each of those Mondays. But today, I'd like to focus on my solo meanderings here on how to give and receive feedback. As we've talked about many times, feedback is a core essential skill in order to establish psychological safety within any team and organization. 
Many of us have the intentions, the noble intentions to give feedback, but sometimes how we do it doesn't go as we planned. And so the reason I want to talk about the art and science of feedback, I think it's a great primer. It's the nuts and bolts of how to give feedback, but it's a great primer that'll lead into Amy Sandler's interview, which follows next week. So let's slip into the stream and I'll see you on the other side. What I'd like to dive into now is the art and science of feedback. It's one of those skill sets that every professional should know. You know, every now and then we need to get ourselves to some place unfamiliar, some place we haven't been to before. We don't know really exactly how to get there. So what do we what do we tend to do? Well, we tend to reach into our pockets, pull out our smartphones, open up a map, type in an address and let Google or whatever map app it is lead us the way. Now, although we trust the map's route, the question is, do you ever find yourself looking for road signs to confirm you're heading in the right direction? We all do this. We all look for the name of the street just to make sure that reality is matching what's on our phone. The physical feedback we get from Post Stein, it's well, it instills in us certainty and confidence that we are headed in the right direction. One of the most important communication skills any of us can learn is how to give feedback. Now, if we do it well, it promotes learning, development, and confidence. If done poorly, on the other hand, it can have the opposite impact of what we wanted. Learning to give feedback is like any other skill. We grow more adept at something the more we practice. Now, I tend to look at the different types of feedbacks in four categories. There's supportive feedback, or the classically known as positive feedback. There's corrective feedback, that's sometimes called negative feedback. But the other two is abusive feedback and insignificant feedback. I don't want to spend too much time on the latter two. I want to spend more time on the former two forms of feedback. Supportive feedback makes clear what we did well so we can repeat that behavior. It recognizes a person's, our efforts and contributions in the moment. Now, corrective feedback, it's more nuanced than giving supportive feedback. Why is this? Well, because it can be seen as confrontational in nature. Corrective feedback is about addressing a behavioral performance issue that is not going too well, that needs to be improved. Abusive feedback, on the other hand, is laden with insults, it's put-downs, it's sarcasm. My personal opinion is that abusive feedback has no place in the professional workplace. For me, and again, my opinion, it serves no purpose other than to actually demean and to hurt people. Now, the fourth type of feedback is insignificant feedback. You know, insignificant feedback tends to be abstract, vacuous, and pretty much useless. It's when someone tells us that we did a good job, but does not specify exactly what we did well. When we hear this once or twice, we can accept it's okay, fine, they've given us some things. The problem is, is when we detect a pattern where there is neither content nor depth in the feedback, this is when it becomes problematic. We then tend to ignore it and we simply label the feedback as superficial and useless. This type of feedback actually eats away at the trust in a relationship. What is worse is when we receive no feedback, at least with abusive or insignificant feedback, there's some level of recognition. 
What is far worse for human beings, for each and every one of us, is when we are completely ignored. Our presence and our effort is not even deemed worthy of notice or comment. Now that we've categorized the four types of feedback, what I want to do is shift the focus towards what are the two key elements of feedback. Now, there's two of them when we give feedback. There's task feedback and there's social feedback. The task element is the quantitative part of feedback. This includes what we can be either measured or what can be observed. Now, for example, this could be such as delivering on deadlines. It's a specific date at a specific time or showing up to a meeting on time. It could also entail how I communicate and collaborate with my colleagues. Am I too abstract or too detailed? Do I speak with a diplomatic tone or do I take a more aggressive tone? Am I able to prioritize or organize my task? Now, the task element should be specific and concrete. It is also important to illustrate it always with an example. The idea is to paint as vivid a picture as possible. Now, the second building block, this is the social element or what we call social feedback. It is the qualitative part of the feedback. It is how I feel about something or someone's behavior or performance. For example, I can communicate that I appreciate or I am thankful for a person's contribution. I can also mention that I am either concerned or worried or frustrated by what someone said or what they did. Now, the social element is critical. It is very important. It helps the recipient to gauge how he or she should respond based on how we feel or how you as the leader feels about their work or a colleague or a coworker. Now, to be even more specific, I can use qualifiers to give emphasis on each of those emotions. So, for example, instead of saying, I am concerned, I can instead say, I'm slightly concerned or I'm very concerned. Qualifiers, using qualifiers helps the recipient to interpret your feelings with more precision. Okay, before I explore the specifics of how to give feedback, sort of the nuts and bolts, what I want to address first, just briefly, is what I think is the most important rule when it comes to giving feedback to someone, and that is to label the behavior and not the personality. What do I mean? Well, let's say my colleague Jason acted arrogantly during a meeting, or he acted aggressively during the meeting. Well, what I want to say is like, hey, Jason, can we just can I just speak to you for a moment? Just step aside for a sec. What I saw was that you acted aggressively. Now that's okay. I mean that's specifically okay because I'm addressing the behavior. What I don't want to say is using the form of to be in my feedback. You were aggressive or you are arrogant. Because labeling, that's a whole different level. Because then Jason's thinking, who are you to think label me who I am? One thing is to label the behavior because the behavior is something. Behavior can be very situational. But if you label a person, their personality, who they are, their character, well, then that's saying this, this feedback, this is indicative of you in all situations, irregardless of the event. People are more willing to accept feedback when it's about something they said or did. What do I mean? An action or behavior. Although unintentional, we can offend people if we address their personality or character.
All right, let's move the conversation about the specifics, the nuts and bolts. So the first model I want to talk about is the supportive feedback model or positive feedback model. So the following is a four-step process that I teach to all my clients. So step one, it's about describing the specific behavior. Step two, it's describing the consequences of that behavior. Step three, it's describing how you feel about the behavior. And the final step, or step four, is describe the reasons why you feel that way. Now, if you notice, step one and step two, the first two parts address the behavior and its consequences. This is what we referred to in the previous section as the task element or task feedback. The latter two sentences, step three and four, well, they address the social element of the feedback. So let me give you an example to illustrate this. I'm addressing Jace for something he's done quite well, and I want to recognize him for that. So step one, this is where I describe the specific behavior. Jason, thanks for putting together the project update on such short notice. It was great how you ordered the data and explained the findings in simple and clear terms. Now step two, this is describing the consequence of the behavior. The report had a very positive impact on the clients. Step three, this is where I describe how I feel about his behavior. I very much appreciate your help on this one. Step four, this is describing the reasons why you feel that way or why I feel that way about Jason's behavior. It not only saved us time and money, but the quality of your work hit home the importance of the project. Thanks again. I mean, if you think about giving supportive feedback, this is something you can do within under two minutes to someone. You know, specifically, if you want to address something, they did something then and there. This is a great way of doing it. It's a very simple model. It doesn't take a lot of time and investment or a lot of thought. Supportive feedback is just that. It's finding something that they've done well that has impact on yourself or others and to give people recognition. This is what we, this is a a significant part of psychological safety. This is making people valued and secured and they feel connected. All right, now let's move to the corrective feedback model. You know, many of us can feel awkward and uncomfortable when we need to give corrective feedback. We see it as a type of conflict, and most of us would rather avoid conflict. Now, the first step is to reframe corrective feedback as a developmental conversation. You want to move the frame from an evaluation to a developmental conversation. It's about growth and learning. It's not about conflict. How can anyone develop if they don't know where they can make improvements? Feedback provides this insight. It's the road signage indicated that I'm headed in the right direction. Now, giving corrective feedback is very similar to supportive feedback, except for one additional step. In the fifth step, we ask the recipient what he or she could do to resolve the situation. Asking a question involves the recipient to find a solution. This creates a sense of what? Ownership. It fosters responsibility in the person receiving the feedback to for him or her to resolve the situation. So this may sound a little repetitive, but for the sake of understanding, since this is audio, I want to go over the five steps. So the first step is describe the specific behavior. The second step, describe the consequences of that behavior. The third step, describe how you feel about the behavior. And the fourth step, describe the reason why you feel that way. 
The fifth step, which is the only step that is different from supportive feedback, and the fifth step is this. Ask the recipient what they think he or she could do to improve or resolve the issue. All right, let's cement this five, these five steps with an example. Let's come back to Jason. And so the first step where I describe the specific behavior is this. Jason, I need to address the tone you took during this morning's project update meeting. I found it to be quite aggressive and rather negative. Step two, this is where I describe the consequences of Jason's behavior. You know, Jason, the impact of it shut down the participation of others in the meeting. Step three, this is where I describe how I feel about the behavior. You know, Jason, your tone surprised me and it also frustrated me. Step four, describe the reason why I feel like that or why you feel that way. Jason, it surprised me because this is not typical of you. It frustrated me because we had to reschedule the meeting. We are already behind schedule as it is. Now I'll move on to step five. And remember, step five, this is where I ask Jason specific questions of what he thinks he can do to improve or to solve this this situation. So Jason, what are your thoughts about what happened? What do you think we could do to avoid similar situation from playing out again? How can I specifically help you or support you? Now, these are only three questions of what could be dozens of different permutations of these questions. So these are just questions I just chose off the top of my head. But you can find questions. You can think about the questions that will trigger more deeper thinking from the recipient. How to get him or her to step up, take ownership, take responsibilities, and for them to lay out how they can improve that particular behavior or performance or whatever the issue may be. So far, we've just talked about how to give feedback, but what's just as important is the ability to ask for and to receive feedback because feedback is an essential component in all our personal and professional developments. It gives us insight about ourselves that we may not be aware of. If feedback is to have value, then we we want to approach people we respect and trust. This might be a close colleague, but it can also be with someone who you cross swords with on occasion, but highly respect. Now, this is important. When asking for feedback, I find it sometimes best to give people a few days to think about it. This way, their feedback is well considered and measured. Because if you ask them right on the spot, you're going to be putting them on the spot. And they're more than likely, they're going to just blurt out something that doesn't really serve you. So give them some time. Give them some time to decompress and to think about what you've asked them so they can give you a much deeper and more helpful uh, feedback. Now, simply approaching someone and asking them, hey, can you give me some feedback in my my performance? First of all, I think that's courageous for you to go up to someone that you trust and that you respect to give you feedback. But that question in itself is kind of too general. If you really want to get some significant feedback that will help you to gain some traction, So in the moment, I'd like to share with you five questions that I give to my clients to ask their colleagues to give them more specific feedback. So here they are. So the first question is, what is the one thing that I do well? Second, what is the one thing I could improve? Third, what could I do more of? Four, what could I do less of? 
And here's the toughest question. This one is the fifth. What is the one thing that I could either change or eliminate to improve dot, dot, dot? This could be cooperation, communication, workflow, timing, what have you. Now, most of the feedback we receive will tend to confirm aspects of ourselves that we already know. There may also be feedback that blindsides us, leaving us a little discombobulated. But this is okay. Whether it is the former or the latter, thank the person for taking the time to give you the feedback because it wasn't easy for them to do. Then think about what you heard and put it into context. You may not agree with it, but it's great that people are willing to give you feedback. And so take the time to think about it and to sit with it and see if it actually resonates with you. All right, the feedback so far has been sort of individual to individual. It's not just top down. This could be bottom up or it could be lateral amongst peers and colleagues. But what I'd like to do now is just shift the conversation about feedback between teams. If you are in an organization, dear listener, more than likely you recognize there are silos. Now, most of the time, these silos show up unintentionally and they're not intentional. But why do silos show up in the first place? Well, these silos spring up when teams get wrapped up in their own objectives. This is not so strange if you add into the mix work overload and and looming deadlines that constantly add pressure to the cooker. In doing so, teams can lose sight of the bigger organization, the bigger goal, and how all the puzzle pieces fit together. All they see is their little bubble, their little world. Now, one effective way to build bridges between teams is to ask for and to share feedback. Now, I find this is best to gather those individuals from the different teams who interact most with each other. You know, just get them to sit down and give and receive feedback to each other based on the five questions that I just shared previously. From my experience, a lot of solid content results from this exercise. There's a lot of feedback that can be shared and that it will give insights. It starts as a conversation, which leads to more collaboration, more cooperation, more communication. And what I find is that in the end, silos can only come down when the quality and the quantity of the conversation increases. In most organizations that I know, they're constantly talking about the business. They're talking about the project. Very little time is invested as to how do we run the project? How are we interacting? How are we collaborating? And sometimes it may be too sensitive when a project is live. But when that project has been capped and put on the shelf and it's done with, maybe a couple of weeks down the road, when emotions are back to normal, they're kind of baseline, maybe it's to bring that case up as a case study. And for those departments involved, those teams involved, ask those five questions. What did we do well? What did we, what could we improve? What would you have liked to see more from us? Or what would you have liked to see less from us? If we were to do this project again, if we could rewind and replay, what was one thing that we could either change or eliminate it to create better collaboration or cooperation or communication between our teams? And the thing is here, 
when you pull out, if, if I was team A and we put out the olive branch asking for feedback about who we are and we give them those five specific questions and they take the time to think about it and to share it with us. Now, again, it takes courage to do that because a lot of people, when it comes to corrective feedback, they can see it as what? They can see it as conflict. But if they've taken the time, well, it's the onus is on me to graciously and diplomatically accept what they've said and thank them for the time and the feedback they've given to me. Now, I may not agree with it all, but that's something my team and I can look into, take it apart and understand Is this true? Do we actually have to see this? And maybe, yeah, maybe it's a hard truth that we haven't seen before. But if we can improve that, what does that show? Well, that gives us credibility. That builds our trust and transparency with that other team. And what happens naturally because that trust and transparency is that the silos start coming down because people think, you know what? They are willing to take a hit. They are willing to get some hard feedback from us in order to improve the collaboration. And more than likely, what I see from experience is that eventually team B will ask for the same feedback. They will they will want feedback from team A to see how they can improve. And again, this is not a light switch. This takes time to build up. It takes time to create a feedback culture. But once you establish the fundamentals of a feedback culture and organization, this highly contributes to psychological safety. It gives credibility and responsibility and respect and trust and transparency within that organization. I mean, I could easily spend a whole hour on this, but there's a lot of resources out there. If you're interested, knock on my door or you can just simply go to Google and put how to give feedback in the search window and you'll see a lot coming up. Some of it will be super relevant and super helpful. Some of it will be, sorry to say, garbage. But hopefully this short podcast will give you some of the fundamentals of how to give feedback and how to build that feedback culture within your team or organization. Because at the end of the day, feedback is both an art and a science. It improves engagement and working relationships. It provokes change. It fuels growth and gives people a sense of purpose. So I hope some of my ideas here about feedback um, will help you. That will encourage you to have those discussions, to build a feedback loop within your team, within your organization, within your department, within the company. If you have any questions, please reach out and I'd be happy to answer any of those questions on feedback. Well, I hope you found this episode informative. You know, you probably already do give feedback. You probably do a damn good job of it. So this is not to replace anything that you already do. What it is to do is to complement your skill sets. But that brings us to an end of another episode. I appreciate your time and I hope to see you through November for each of those interviews with some fascinating guests. But if you have any questions, if you have any comments, please send them my way. I am more than willing to field any questions and to answer and address any issues that you bring up, any comments that you may have. But as usual, please recommend, subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with anyone you think it might help. But until next week, keep well, keep strong, and we'll speak soon.